Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm pregnant. <laughs> Welcome to Manic Rambling Spiral. I am Heather B. Armstrong. And I am John R. Bray. I finally get to talk about (laughs) what I've been doing since Paris. I finally get to talk about it. You mean, you mean dying repeatedly? Is that what we're... (laughs) Uh, I'm writing a book. Yes, I'm writing a book. And it will be released... A year from now. It's the way things go. Yes, February, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I wrote the first few chapters while I was in Paris. I sent them, actually, I sent them directly to my previous editor. And he loved it. And so we worked out a deal. And now I am furiously trying to finish it. <laughs> well, and I think it's worth mentioning, too, that it, it's not just what you've been doing since Paris. I mean, this is really the reason you went to Paris this is was the, to yes. remove yourself from everything else to be able to focus on this completely fucked up story, honestly. I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> and I mean that in a really positive way, but it's it's crazy. It's a totally bizarre story. Yeah. I know people are like, what the fuck? It's a, it's a bizarre story. I mean, there's 18 months that's basically missing from my website because- I was depressed and I was working another job and all of the depression was going on and I never talked about it. So there's 18 months of material. There's nothing that has been, like it's, I'm not repurposing material from my website. It's coming straight out of my fingers right now. And there's probably a little bit to say, I would imagine. There are a lot of factors that played into how depressed I got, starting with training for a marathon while being a strict vegan. The vegans are going to come after me again about that probably, but. (laughs) It's not like we're blaming veganism on the depression. No. Blaming the depression on veganism rather. It's. It was the combination. It's a combination of the physical and emotional stress of the training regimen and working full time and taking care of my kids by myself and traveling like crazy and trying to find food I could eat. Because I was very, very strict, and I was starving all the. I was just so hungry all the time, and I thought that hunger would end when I stopped training, but it did not. Anyway, I remember that so well from just the weekend of the marathon. Yeah, <laughs> that we would eat, and immediately you were hungry. Like, yeah, immediately. It didn't matter what we ate or how much. It was just hungry. Hungry hungry hangry hangry oh yeah 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 so (laughs) so i agreed to go through an experimental procedure my psychiatrist runs the ect clinic here at the university of utah the the what clinic the electroconvulsive therapy shock therapy yeah 
he's been running it for the last 25, 30 years. Um, he's revolutionized it, actually. He's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the best in the country in terms of success rates. Wow. One of his former anesthesiologists came to him with a study that had been done in the early 90s in, I believe it was Austria, where they tried to replicate the positive effects of ECT through anesthesia. And because uh, ECT has quite a few side effects, the most scary one being like permanent memory loss and migraines and temporary memory loss. Extensive memory loss? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so this study is uses anesthesia to re replicate what ECT does to the, to the brain. Let me take a sip of water because I'm stumbling over my words. Maybe, maybe <laughs> it didn't work. Are you there? I'm here. I'm totally here. Are you here? <laughs> yes. Great. I guess we lost each other for a second there. But I wanted to I wanted to jump in really quick just to let everyone know. I mean, there was obviously a lot that led up to this, but this whole process, this whole thing was happening. And we were just charging forward with MRS. Yeah. Like it wasn't like this happened and we took a break for five days and everything was done. Like this was an ongoing thing that we weren't really talking about on the podcast. Right. So to the outside world, it was everything was everything was cool. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you died and whatnot, but otherwise, pretty normal. Yeah, we we were recording. It was a it was a pretty packed. I did it ten times because that's usually when you do ECT. It's between like ten or twelve rounds of of treatment that you go through in order in order for it to be really effective. You have to do it that many times, and so to replicate that, I had to sign up for ten times. It was a four-week period. Yeah, we didn't talk about it, and just a few people in my life knew about it. And my mom and my stepfather took me every time. They were with me the, the entire time. So, And when it was over, I was only the third person to have gone through it. And I actually got to sit down and speak with the woman who had done it before me. Oh, I remember that. Mm-hmm. People are asking me on Instagram and Facebook, did it work? <laughs> well, I'm not dead. And it, it, it did work. It, it was a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous transformation happened. And I got through it and I, I turned to the doctor and I said, uh, can I write about this? And he's like, would you? And I was like, yeah, I would love to write about this because there were no side effects. The only side effects were a little bit of drowsiness after waking up from the anesthesia. And since it's, a, it's an experimental study, it needs funding. It needs attention. It needs more eyeballs on it. And he was thrilled when I told him that I, that I wanted to write about the experience. And even that one side effect, I feel like, got it was really just the first couple times that yeah. really kind of hit you. And then it it didn't seem like it was as big a deal moving forward from there. Yeah, there was there was one morning after after like the fourth or fifth treatment where I woke up and I was just I was so tired and like I don't ever take a nap and I woke up and it was like a Saturday and I laid on the couch and fell asleep for three hours. I'd never do that. And I, I called my mom. And I was like, oh God, I just 
I feel like I just woke up from death. And she's like, um, Heather? (laughs) (laughs) You did. Wow. So. Well, it's really interesting because, you know, you posted about this on Instagram. And I think the only reason I caught this comment is whoever commented must have posted right before me. But it was it was interesting because it was something I hadn't considered. And I don't remember exactly what they said, but it was it was basically along the lines of then maybe there's a piece in your brain for people who are severely depressed and contemplating suicide. That like your brain is thinking about that because it's a reset. Mm. And the, the comment was from a more like a clinical standpoint, like it would be interesting to look at this clinically in that connection. Mm hmm. But I had never considered that, and that's kind of an interesting avenue. Was it the same comment someone was saying, you know, for so many people who have depression, the 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 wish to be dead and using death as a cure for that is, she called it morbidly elegant and sobering, and she wanted to read more about it. And I talk a lot about that irony in the book. The original title of the book was something else that my editor hated, and there's, <laughs> he was very, very, very uh, brutal about that. And in in the pages that I gave to him, I, there's a line where I call myself the valedictorian of being dead because the first time they put me under anesthesia, the doctor said, like, I, like he's like, her brain went totally down better than anybody's has before. Like immediately, <laughs> it was ready to go. <laughs> it was like, I wanted to be dead. And so I, there's a line in like the first chapter and my, my, my editor was like, that's the title right there. That's the title. It was a transforming, a tr- very transformative experience. I did go to Paris to write, to get some pages written to try to sell it. And so now that I am writing the rest of the book, <laughs> I'm back in my normal day-to-day life with, you know, homework and laundry and dishes and piano and kids. And holidays. And holidays. What I'm trying to do is recreate uh, a little bit of the rhythm that I had in Paris. That's not really possible, but I'm doing the best that I can to get into a, a rhythm where in Paris I would wake up and I would immediately start writing and I would write for about six or seven hours, and then I would just go walk the city until, you know, it, it was light outside until 1130 at night, and I would walk until it would get dark. Right. So what I'm doing is I'm dropping off my kids, and then, I'm come, and then I either do my exercise or I come straight home and I write for six hours, and then I take the dog for a walk. Oh, God, like I get to the end of the day and I see a word and I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't want to see words. <laughs> <laughs> that Yeah, that has to be an interesting dynamic, too, because it's a story that you really want to tell mm-hmm. and that you need to tell. I mean, I, I remember right when it finished and you said that to me, like, I, I need to write about this. People want to they're going to want to know what this is like because it's incredible. And it's like you've had all of those words all of the story just rattling around in your head mm-hmm. since that last treatment since that yeah since that last treatment and now they all want to just come flying out in whatever order and i mean you can't replicate paris but i think if you can come up with a steady routine that is the same every week yes it it does the same thing for your brain i think yeah like i've got specific days set for writing i've been really brutal about saying no to scheduling anything on those days, um, to taking phone calls on those days. I have to dedicate 
those hours to writing the book. And then I two other days that during the week, I do all the admin, the administration of running a business. I mean, in theory, you should become incredibly efficient at the admin work. <laughs> in theory. But now this is a great week for me to say that because your girls and Lexton both had Monday off. Right. And Monday is a writing day for you. Monday is a writing day for me. So this week it was fucked. It was fucked. My kids were yelling at each other all day long and I was like, fuck it. I can't. I can't do this. Can't. Can't. Right before we hit record, you, you just said, yeah, I just gave up yesterday. <laughs> just gave up. <laughs> Couldn't do it. There's no shame there. No shame. So how long have you been? I mean, obviously you worked on it a bunch in Paris. Mm -hmm. How long have you been actively working on it since you got back? So he came to me with the good news in October. The editor, that's the he, right? Yes, the editor came to me in October. I was waiting for signed contracts. And the process of getting contracts uh, worked up in publishing takes weeks, if not months. So I, I actively started writing the day after Thanksgiving break. Okay. And have been furious, like churning, churning out, you know, as much as I, like I was talking to, I almost knocked Lita in the head. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, listen, I have to get 3000 words written today. And she's like, I could do that in like 20 minutes. <laughs> oh my God. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah. Shit. I wish I could do that in 20 minutes. I know, right? I don't think I could write 3,000 words about it. I don't think I could write the same word 3,000 times in 20 minutes. I'm a slow writer is the thing. I know people who are super, like my friend Kelly Wickham writes brilliantly and very quickly. She and I went to Dad 2.0 in San Diego last year together. She was my confidant through it. Um, I talked to her quite a bit after each treatment and I would I would watch her compose Facebook posts, the most eloquent and beautifully written prose in like 10 fucking minutes. And I was like, dude, that's just like, oh, my God, I'm really envious of that ability because I, it takes me forever to write. I don't know about like you. Without typos, though. I mean, is it still fairly accurate for her? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What the fuck? She's brilliant. I mean, I can force myself to write quickly for a very short window. And there will be brilliant content, but it will be a disaster. Like I will then have to go back and spend a ton of time correcting things, cutting shit out, and then distill it down. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I'm very, I'm more like you. Like, I don't even want to say it's meticulous. It just doesn't come quickly. Right. It doesn't come quickly. I, I Sometimes it comes more quickly than other times, but it's exhausting. I didn't realize just how exhausting it was until... Like last week, I turned out quite a bit, quite a few pages, and then I had to, I updated my website twice, and then there's, I mean, there's therapy and piano and all that other stuff, and I like, and then I had to go to a wedding on Saturday, and Sunday I woke up, like somebody had hit me with a bat, like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, I, gotta, I have to keep up this pace though, I have to keep it up, because the manuscript is due in a few months, so... That's going to be intense. And you know there's going to be more holidays. There's going to be sick yeah. days. So even though in your in your head you have like, I have to write X number of words each of these three days during the week or four days during the week, you that, that, that won't happen. 
that won't happen. No. I know that I'm a wonderful pessimist, but I think in this case, I'm just being a realist. <laughs> I just, I don't think it will happen. Um, I, 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 so I was surprised myself in December with how disciplined I was and how much I got done. But yeah, and then the holidays happened and I was like, okay, I, there's no way that I can concentrate on the book and do the holidays at the same time. So right. I had to take that break. So back to it. Right. Well, and you traveled too. I mean, I guess you could have written when you traveled, but you were too busy not doing the city justice to have done anything else. <laughs> so yeah, we, we've been keeping this, been keeping the book a secret and we've been keeping the, the fact that I went through that procedure a secret for quite a, a year now, almost a year. Yeah. Yeah. We've been pretty casual about the whole death thing, I think. <laughs> All things considered. I mean, like we would we would record and then stop recording and be like, so how you doing? You holding up okay? Well, I remember when I told you, because I said, I said I'm doing something. I remember when I told you and you were like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pre pretty accurate. Yeah. And when we've talked about this before, but I think to hear about it is is bizarre because it just sounds like such a strange process. But then, and I know you're going to talk about this in your book, but then to experience it as your mom or as yeah. anyone to go to accompany someone to this, I cannot even fathom the mind fuck. Honestly, that's what it would be. She watched it happen all 10 times. Each procedure was done on it. Like I, I would do a procedure on Wednesday, Friday, then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And she and my stepfather drove me t there every time and were in the room each time. My mother watched it. And it wasn't until the fourth or fifth treatment when she finally broke down and, and looked at me and said, Heather, you need to understand what I'm going through. You need to understand that as your mother watching this is taking a toll on me. And this, and and she described to me what they would do after I would go under. I did. I had no idea some of the things that happened after I went under. And it's it was the. And I'll describe it all in the book, but because she described it to me in great detail, some of it was very frightening. And it was very frightening for her. And I also I'm also going into some detail in the book about my relationship with my stepfather because he was there as well. And his support and his dedication, like they had to sacrifice their lives for me for four weeks. I mean, it was, they would have to sacrifice like eight hours of their day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to come and be with me. And I mean, first of all, I'm so, so privileged to have that support. And then my relationship, I'm going to cry. Sorry. Um, do you remember when... In the, in the depths of my depression, I cried during every episode. <laughs> I, do, I do remember that. Like, I'm scared to even go listen to those to those uh, episodes when I was so depressed because, like, I was crying all the time. Um, they were grim. It's You yeah. can hear it, I think, just even if you're not crying. If you went back and listened to one of those episodes, you would hear it in your voice. Yeah. My stepfather, I, 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 it transformed not only did it not only did it work, you know, but it tr it also transformed my relationship with my stepfather, who um I mean I I <laughs> um 
like I've I really never known love from a father like that. And um that's not to slam my father. It's just my father shows love differently. Um my stepfather was just so supportive and didn't question any of it and we you know, we had very long conversations because sometimes I would get there to the clinic. They always had me go last because um sorry if I'm talking too much. No, no, um, no. This is this is definitely your story. <laughs> um they would always have me go last of the day because with ECT patients, they've got that down. They know how long it takes for an ECT patient to wake up. Since this is a new study, they never knew how long it was going to take me to come out of, out of the anesthesia. And it would vary, like it would vary between 45 minutes and to two hours. So they would always have me go last during the day. And sometimes I would get to the clinic and they, I would have to wait for an hour or two because they needed to add another patient in before me. So I spent a lot of time with my stepfather and mother. And it it transformed my, my, my relationship with him. And like when I see him now, like I hug him and I, I love him so much for what he did for me. And, and I, re- I remember thinking that even if it didn't work, that at least I was ex- getting to experience that with him. And so I have that to be grateful for as well. Yeah, definitely. And you already had a good relationship with him anyway. Yeah. I mean, it was good, but this is like, so it, we just have such a deep connection now. Yeah. It's, it was a beautiful thing. <laughs> it's a really earnestly beautiful thing. So. So there's really a lot of positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it worked. I, I, it, 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 it was like a, a switch got flipped. Somebody even in my comments on Facebook called it basically like like a computer. Turn, have you tried turning it on and off again? And that was the whole point of the procedure is to basically reset the brain, is to reboot it. Yeah. So you're just like an old Windows PC. <laughs> yes. That's all this I, is. I don't want to give too much away because there's a lot of the details I want to say for the book, but it it was like a, a, a switch got flipped. And I woke up after one of the treatments and I thought to myself, wait a minute, I was thinking that yesterday? What? I was thinking that? I can't believe I was thinking that yesterday. Like, it was literally, it was like that. It's awesome. Yeah. You have to fill out a questionnaire every time you go in for a treatment and it, like, how, like, how sad are you feeling? How are you sleeping? All of that sort of thing. And I remember thinking, I answered it that way. I said I was that sad. Huh. That's weird. Like it was literally that quick. Like to the point where you can't even, you weren't even able to understand why you would have answered it like that. Yeah. And that's when, that's when, and I remember in that moment thinking, oh my God, this people, people need to know about this. Like this could save so many lives. Like, yeah. It's staggering to me that, so I know that all that all three of us who have been through the study, all three of us experience the exact same thing. I just thought, oh my God, they, people need to know about this this possibility. But they're t- you- they're being very meticulous about who they let into the study because they really want to prove um, that this procedure is as effective as ECT. So, right. 
Are you still in touch with the other two people that you that you were able to talk to while you were going through it? Um, I had lunch with the second person. Um, okay. I'm not still in touch with her, no. She said that a few weeks after the treatment, she felt a little down, but that she bounced back, which is good. Right. I was not bound. When my depression started towards the end of 2015, and it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. There was no bouncing back. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, obviously, I don't know all the specifics of this treatment, but there's going to be some dips. I mean, it's life. Like, to a certain point, I feel like, I think people who don't suffer from severe depression, I mean, everyone has their lows, and then you bounce back. Right? That's that's how it should be. You should be able to go through the dips and then come back up. But it's when you go into those dips and then just keep dipping and never coming back up. Yeah. Which is where you were at. Yeah. I was talking yesterday. So this week last year was probably the worst week of it all. And I remember calling my friend Stacia to come over and be with me. I was talking to Stacia yesterday and I was like, you know, Last year at this time, I had given up. I had completely given up on the idea that I would ever feel better or that I would ever feel good about myself or that I would ever have any confidence back. I mean, I felt I felt terrible about myself. I felt terrible about life. I really did think, okay, I've reached the breaking point where from which I cannot return. And I said, this week, this year... <laughs> You know, I've, I've got all my, I've got all the same shit going on. You know, I'm still, I still have to pay my bills. This, this, um, you know, this thing went wrong and this thing went wrong and this thing went wrong. And you know what? I'm totally fine. <laughs> like, it's so weird to, to say I'm just fine. I'm, you know, I'm good. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Well, that's something I've noticed. I mean, even talking to you outside of episodes, it's the same, the same shit happens because it's life. And, and even, I mean, there were, there were times when you were, when you were really depressed that you would laugh about these things, but it was more of a, ha ha, my life is fucking awful laugh. Like it was a miserable laugh and now you laugh them off. Yeah. Because there's nothing you can do about them. But it's not something that's dragging you down. It's just like, well, here we go. We'll get through this. And then tomorrow's a new day. And that's great. It feels good to feel good. 
It feels so yes. good to feel good. Someone else also asked if I'm still taking medication, and yes, I, have, I will make that clear abundantly clear. I have a have a giant bag of pills that I that I take every day. That's one thing that my psychiatrist was very very adamant about. He's like, you you cannot stop taking your medication. Don't do it. Which is a side effect of being depressed. Many depressed people think that once they feel better, that they can go off their their medication. Many, many, many depressed people do that, and that's a bad thing to do. <laughs> right. So yeah, I'm still I'm still actively on a ton of medication. And but you were on a ton before, and it wasn't doing a damn thing. Right. He changed it up a little bit. Right. Before I went through the treatment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He he told me. <laughs> he said this to me. He's like, "You won the fucking lottery, Heather. You won the fucking lottery." Because, okay, so I'll go back. I had run out of one of my medications, and he uh, ref- was refusing to fill it and to give me a, a refill because I had not seen him in nine months. Well, I didn't want to see him because I didn't, I didn't want him to know that I was that sad. <laughs> yeah, you were you were in such a bad place that you knew how to avoid. Yeah. Getting out of that place, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, I, I I, did not want him to know how sad I was. So he forced me to come. And he's, God damn it, I don't have, and this is the thing. Back to uh, medical shit, healthcare. My, none of my healthcare covers mental health. And he's $275 an hour. Oh, man. But it but it covers the scripts. But yeah, he. he okay. Yeah. So like if he gave you a refill, it's basically it's free or it's your copay. But if you have to go in and see him. If I have. Yeah. If I go yeah. in and see him, he charges me two hundred and seventy five dollars. OK. <laughs> so that was another reason that I was avoiding going in. But so I went in to see him. I finally went in to see him and I was sitting there and I was really, really trying just to like not say anything. And, and he looked at me and he's like, how are you feeling? And I was like. I know what you're legally obligated to do if I answer that question correctly. <laughs> That's what you told him. And he just looked at me. He says, "I know. I I can see it in your face, Heather." And he his eyes got really wide, and he's like, "I I I, I I'm, can you hold on one second? And he called the doctor who was doing the study, and he said, "Are you ready for another patient?" And then he sort of came back and. He's like, I want to tell you about this procedure and I want to, I want to encourage you to say yes, go home and think about it. And then, you know, after it was over, I went back in to see him after the whole treatment was over. And he's like, listen, you won the fucking lottery. How crazy is it? I use the word crazy. How crazy is it that I was that depressed and they were doing that study right then and I came in to see him. Right. And again, I'm just, I'm so grateful so, so, so grateful. So, I mean, we're like halfway through January. We mm-hmm. didn't record the first week. So this is our second episode of 2018. So the first episode for people who maybe haven't heard it or skipped it or missed it, we talked a lot about the fact that, you know, you're in love. So <laughs> that was a pretty good episode. This particular episode, we're talking about not only the crazy benefits of this amazing procedure, but the fact that you have a book coming out. So 2018 is, is pretty, pretty fantastic right now. 
right now, yeah, right now, like, again, I'm being cautiously optimistic about things. Life is cyclical. I know that. Right. And it's a, it's a day at a time, but Mm -hmm. you, you gotta, you gotta ride the waves when they're there. Well, uh, this is also something that I should point out is that when I became happy, I was putting out a different vibration and I was attracting happiness into my life like crazy, like crazy. It was so, it was so weird. I was attracting happiness into my life because I was vibrating happiness. I was also like, there was just so many people came out of nowhere to talk to me about either their suicidal ideations or their their dad's suicide or their own you know really bad debilitating depressive episodes i was i was actually on the i was on the phone with at&t to get an international call calling plan and the woman was like where are you going and i was like well i'm going to paris and she's like oh who are you going with and i was like i'm, I'm going alone and she's like what why are you doing that and i was like well i'm gonna write a book She's like, about what? I said, about, <laughs> it's about depression, but it's going to be a fun book about depression. Is that what you told her? Yeah. Super uplifting. <laughs> and she, she paused and then she launched into a 45 minute story about her suicidal episode and how her daddy came to her rescue and helped put her life back together. And she was crying at the end of it. And so was I. And she was like, please write this book. Please write this book. Please write this book. We need this book. And like that would happen. That started happening to me like over and over and over again with the most random people. I remember that. You would text me and be like, so had another conversation. I mean, never with names or anything, but just like. Yeah. It was becoming a thing. Like you were a beacon. Mm Mm-hmm. Almost. Uh, Yeah. And it was just like, it's this sign that I needed to, that this is what I was supposed to do. And (laughs) so, okay, I'll tell this, I'll tell this part of the story. Um, So I was doing the consulting work for um, Farm Forward for the uh, animal welfare nonprofit. Yes. And that was, it's a wonderful organization. It was causing me quite a bit of stress. It was a, it was pretty demanding that yeah. position. Mm-hmm. I was at my mother's house one Sunday afternoon for dinner, and this is after the treatment. And she pulled me aside because I was I was deciding if I wanted to continue the consulting job or if I wanted to go write this book, and I would need to quit the consulting job in order to write the book. She pulled me aside and she like grabbed me by the shoulders. I'll just say that depression runs quite wide in my family, especially in the children of my siblings and my own children. And she took me by the shoulders and she looked at me (laughs) and she said, your calling is not with the cows, Heather. Your calling is not with the cows. (laughs) And I was like, that's the title of the book, mom. (laughs) Is that, was that the title that your editor rejected? No, no. Okay. Okay. She's like, your calling is with your sister because my sister doesn't suffer from depression, but a few of her children do. And some of the best feedback I've ever gotten from people is, you know, I gave your book to my husband and he finally understood 
what it feels like for me to be so sad. And she's like, Heather, you're calling with your sister so that you can help your sister understand her children. But yeah, the, my calling was not with the cows. Right. <laughs> so in a way, this book could end up being not necessarily for people who are depressed, but for the people in their lives to help them better understand. To help them better understand what this kind of sorrow and hopelessness does to the brain and what it, where it makes your brain go and why we say the things that we say. And here's something that you shouldn't do when someone is this hopeless. Like, please right. don't tell me to go take a fucking shower. Please don't tell me that. Okay. How many times people go, well, if I just take a shower, you'll feel better. Right. That'll help everything. Yeah. It'll just, it'll wash away the depression. <laughs> right. Well, I think that positive, like that positive vibration, I don't know. It was a few months ago when I talked about that, those podcasts from Tara Brock. Yeah. And there was one where she mentioned, she said something, I think it was, it was where attention goes, energy flows. Mm -hmm. And I say that quietly to myself on a fairly regular basis because every time I, when something good happens, or honestly, when something shitty happens, if I take a minute to step back and kind of look at what led up to it, that is always the case. Mm -hmm. Like I have focused, I've been really putting a lot of attention into this and things turned out really well, or I've been really focused on how bad this is going to be. And look, they turned out really bad. <laughs> so there is, I mean, there's a certain, like now that you're in a better place and you have a better understanding of yourself and how you got there, that energy is there. Yes. The really ironic thing about this, and I, I'm not going to give away too much, but I attracted the person into my life through an interaction with someone who was depressed. Is this the person that you love? <laughs> the person, yes. Gotcha. He came into my life via me helping someone who was depressed. That's how he came into my life. And that is a strange coincidence. Isn't that strange? The universe is a, is a weird thing sometimes. <laughs> so now instead of, instead of dying three days a week, you get to write about dying. Three you days get to a write week. about dying three days a week. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. I take a lot of medication and I think what it does is, well, one, a lot of my medication is for my insomnia. So I sleep very heavily. If I dream, I don't remember them. I very, very, very rarely remember dreams. And over the break, I had one very vivid dream where I woke up. I, was, I woke up in the dream and the treatment had never happened. And it was the most devastating feeling. And I think part of the reason that I'm, I had that dream was just because I'm, I have put myself back into those three weeks. So to, 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 to do the writing and the treatment is like, I'm like reliving it right now. But thank God it happened. <laughs> so you woke up and felt, in the dream, you felt what it felt like to have not had it. Basically. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that dream was to help me, you know, capture, I mean, because I feel so much better now, but I need to write about how bad I felt. And maybe that dream was to like remind me, like, that's how dire it was. Interesting. Yeah. See, your whole your whole person in life is like 
coming into alignment for this book. I'm I'm trying to make that happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some seriously exciting shit. <laughs> it is. It is exciting, isn't it? I yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's totally. You can be cautious and still realize that it's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. It might five days from now something that's not awesome might happen, but that doesn't make this any less awesome. And you're in love. It's like the best <laughs> year ever. Honestly, I mean, shit. I wow. and I I feel so much better about myself. That too. I'm, I I I've been given that back. It feels good to feel good about myself. Yeah. Well, and I think part of that is too that this this whole treatment put you in a better headspace. Mm-hmm. And in that better headspace, you've been able to build a foundation to keep yourself in a better headspace. Right, exactly. So even if like a piece of this foundation falters slightly, you've you're you've spent the last year building this base that you were never able to build before. So before if something faltered, it was like the end of the world. Yes. But now that's not the case. It's and that, not. it's kind of it's kind of unfair that you you have to be in a good place to put yourself in a good place. Right. Because the people who aren't in a good place really need that ability and they their brains won't let them get there. My mother has learned so much. My mother doesn't suffer from depression and all of her siblings do. Each and every one of them. Uh, she, my, my mother, the Avon, my mother is the valedictorian of escaping depression. But she's learned a lot about it through my experience. And after the treatment was over, she sat down with me and she's like, listen, we are making a plan so that you don't ever get in that hole again. We're making a plan and she helps. Lita has dance every Tuesday night. And she's like, I'm, I am taking Lita to dance. You have no say in this whatsoever. <laughs> like she takes the stress of me having to chauffeur some of the kids, some of the kids stuff. And now that I'm in a better headspace, like asking for help isn't the worst thing in the world. Like I'm able to ask for help now and, and not feel guilty about it. And able to accept the help that is. Yes. I mean, you didn't, not that you actually had a choice, but it's okay. It's okay. And here's the thing as well. Like I stopped going to talk therapy uh, right before I went to Paris and I haven't been back. And a lot has happened in the last, however, however long, six months, seven months. Like a lot has happened, a lot of ups and downs. And I haven't been back to talk therapy. I haven't needed to go. That's how much of a reboot that treatment was for me. Do you think that there will come a point where maybe you go even though you don't need to go, but rather than possibly getting to the point of needing that you'll just go just to have that conversation? Or do you feel that you can create that dialogue with another person or with other people without actually having to do that? Anymore? Well, what what, it, what has happened is I saw, I have, I've seen that therapist for over 13 years what has happened in being in this better headspace is that I, I know what she's going to say. Like I've had these questions in my head and some conundrums and some complexities. 
And normally I would go to therapy and I would talk them through and she would say, Heather, stop doing this or Heather, you're doing this. or you know. So I know now in, my, in this better headspace what she would say to me in those complicated situations. And I'm acting on what I learned about myself in through her work with me. Um, I'm, 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 I'm using what I learned to get myself through these things by myself. So you are your own talk therapist. She, it worked. Her, like, what I love about her is that she is not a therapist that is going to try to keep you coming every week. She wants you to get better. Like, she, she we set goals, and then when we meet that goal, she's like, "See ya." <laughs> she's like, "I don't want to take your money if if I don't need to take your money. If you're well, then you don't need to come see me. Just learn, learn from what we 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 talk about in these sessions." And I did. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think it's worth mentioning here too, and I know we've talked about it before um, in regards to your mom, but you mentioned that she has learned a lot about depression from you. And I think it's fair to say that she's learned a lot because she's wanted to learn. Yes. Rather than just take a shower. Oh, you'll be better tomorrow. Like she, And I think you, you've mentioned at one point that there was kind of a turning point for her. Yes. Where she started to realize what she didn't know. Mm -hmm. But I imagine that that aspect is it is at least an undertone, if not more, in this book that you you have to want to understand this. She does well. So many of the grandchildren have been affected, and she has come to me, and she's she gives me credit for it because I was the I was the first person in the family to ask for help back when I was a when I was in college, and she's like Heather what you have been through and I, I like I helped my brother realize that he was depressed she's like what you have done in terms of bringing attention to this like we now can see it starting to develop early with the kids with the, with the grandchildren and we know how to help them she gives me I mean she gives me credit but the thing is is that she she did choose to listen and she did choose to learn and she has so much compassion and willingness to hear us when we say I have no hope or I'm so anxious I can't function and not to judge us for that. Yeah, you're right. She wanted to learn. Right. There has to be a desire there. Right. And it's a two-way street. I mean, I think ultimately with and I again, I'm coming at this I don't I don't suffer from depression, but I think it's a combination of doing what you do and talking very openly and very honestly about it and then having an audience of people who are willing to listen. Yeah. And understand and try and sympathize and process it without brushing it off. Right. And I know every time we talk about depression in an episode, there are always at least a, a few people who reach out and just say, thank you for, you know, kind of pulling the curtain back on this particular thing because people don't talk about it as much as they should. Right. So it, it is a two-way street. I mean, you definitely do a service by really pulling the curtains back and saying, here it is, here's everything, and it's great. And, and part of my depression last year was the fact that I wasn't writing about it. You could tell through the, through the podcast that I was feeling down, but the extent to which I was feeling down, <laughs> I never wrote about it. And I had always used my, my website as an outlet to to work through those things. And now I'm getting to write a book about it. But yeah, I was, it was so bad. <laughs> well, that in itself, I mean, your website was therapeutic. Yeah. 
being mm-hmm. able to pro- I mean, that's, that's the only reason I still run. It's not even the physical health benefits. It's just the mental benefit of going out and running for me. That's what mm-hmm. does it for me. Yeah. And that would be like me just feeling really depressed and then not running anymore. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, I mean, it's digging the hole even deeper. Yeah. So some big news. Big news, yeah. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> no pressure, but next week you're going to have to come up with something that's going to kind of one-up. Uh, I'm pregnant. I, I will. I'm kind of a slacker <laughs> right now. Shit. It's, it's all not, on me. I am not pregnant. I just said no. that. I, mean, I am not pregnant. No. No more babies. Still a week, though, so. <laughs> Still a week. <laughs> Oh, that would be, yeah, that, let's, okay, no. I'll just, you don't have to top it. I think we're good. Yeah. We can just go back to, you know, anything. We can just go back to our pessimism. <laughs> I, I would be right at home with that. Let's do that. Yeah, definitely. No, but it feels good to be able to talk about it now. It's out there. We would love to, the feedback already on the, the announcement has been really wonderful and positive and. There's been a couple people who are arguing with me about it. Because, you know, variety. Because it's just because they can't, they can't not. They are, they are compelled to argue with me. Um, I, I saw the, I saw this person's name uh, on my Instagram comments and I was like, oh no. <laughs> you knew already that it was going to be negative? I, I saw the name and I was like, oh, oh yeah. God, oh no. <laughs> not you again. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we would love be there. We would love to hear from you and I would love for you to buy my book when it's when it's available for pre-sale. I'm going to bang the shit out of it. We'll talk about it again. Yeah. We would love to hear your stories, personal experiences. Have you been through an experimental treatment? Um, or just, you know, your solutions for trying to find your way out of depression. You can Reach us at stories at manicramblings.com and you can find us at manicramblings on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And until next time, just remember this your calling is not with the cows. Many thanks to Tan Lines for the soundtrack, to Lisa Congdon for the cover art and to Ryan Coomer for his expertise with the editing stuff. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.